Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's chapter recap. My name is Corey, and I'm here with my husband, Matlock. Hey, Matlock. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to yep. continue going through Isaiah. Yeah, it's good. I'm, today we entered the, the forbidden chapter. Yes, we do. We yes. end on it, actually. Yeah, it's great. So we are taking a look at Isaiah 36 to 53. That was our assigned reading for this past week. So let's jump in. Let's do it. Let's see what you missed if you fell behind in your reading or get you uh, test your knowledge, test your memory on what you have already read. All right. So Isaiah chapter 36, this is a very interesting chapter. In it, the invasion of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, his invasion into Judah is described. This action is also described elsewhere in the Bible, in the books of Kings and Chronicles. So this is a very biblically covered time period in Judah's history. So uh, in one sentence here, the Bible describes the fall of dozens of fortified city c- cities. So it can be easy to just pass over this first sentence here about Sennacherib's invasion of Judah. But we have to remember, this represents massive devastation to the kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem. So every fortified city, massive loss of life, massive humiliation uh, to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, and to the people of Judah who are left. All right. So the commander of Sennacherib, so his military commander, comes to Jerusalem and he speaks here in Hebrew so that all the people can hear uh, what he is saying, what Sennacherib wants to say to King Hezekiah. So obviously this is employing a type of psychological warfare, right? He's speaking in the common language of the people. It also implies that this is perhaps someone, uh, maybe um, an Israelite who has already been, you know, the, the Israelite kingdom has already fallen to the Assyrians. Like how do the Assyrians know how to speak Hebrew? Potentially because of their uh, their capture of Israel. <clears throat> that has already taken place. But it's interesting uh, what he says. And again, recorded here, recorded in Kings and recorded in Chronicles. I want to point out to you something that really has struck me this year when going through it. So Sennacherib, through this commander, accuses King Hezekiah of actually offending God, of offending the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of Judah, by tearing down the high places of Israel. Remember how Hezekiah had gone through the land and done a religious reform. Uh, so for this accusation that God had, that Hezekiah had offended God by destroying the high places, for that accusation to have weight, there must have been competing views still within Judah and within Jerusalem as how to best serve God, which of course tracks along with what Isaiah has been saying this whole time, right? He's been talking about how people are are not following God in the right way, how they're following their own ambitions, their own passions, um, that they're not righteous, but they think that they are. Basically, people had become okay with following God their own way rather than God's way. Now, one of the reasons why this has really hit me this year is that today, I think this really applies to us today. This is a human danger. You know, today it's so interesting because in our culture in the West today, we are so obsessed with treating other people 
the way that they want to be treated mm. until it comes to God. Yeah. And perhaps this is because God has no direct voice. He, he can't put on a sad face and say, you offended me. Yeah. In the same way that another human can. But we decide somehow in the West, so many people, so many Christians have decided that we get to choose how to follow God rather than following God the way that he has outlined. And this is a sin that clearly goes back to the beginning of time. And we see it over and over and over in the scriptures. And here is just another example. So I wanted to point it out from Isaiah chapter 36 today. Okay, so moving on from that, then the Assyrian commander, after all of those accusations, that's not the only one. He lobs a few other ones. He promises in Hebrew to anyone who is in Jerusalem at that point, Anyone who defects at that moment, he gives an opportunity. If you want to walk away from Jerusalem, if you want to walk away from Hezekiah and join us, you will be treated well. Which again, this probably had more weight because he was likely an Israelite captive. Right. Military captive because he was able to speak Hebrew. Okay. Isaiah chapter 37. So in response to this, Hezekiah goes to the temple in Jerusalem. He sends his men, his commanders, his officials to the prophet Isaiah for Isaiah to pray for this remnant. This, this, these are the, this is the last city, important city left in Judah. Um, when Hezekiah receives a letter of demands from Sennacherib, he takes that letter to the temple. God gives a message to Hezekiah that Jerusalem will indeed survive this, that the small remnant will continue on. Uh, And then also in chapter 37, we get the culmination of that. So the angel of the Lord is said to go out and kill many Assyrian soldiers overnight. So much so that in the morning, Assyria actually withdraws. And then we're given an account of King Sennacherib's death, which is a historically verifiable account, mainly that his sons murdered him. Right. Um, <clears throat> all right. So Isaiah chapter 38 this is written out of chronological order. Uh, we know because the Assyrian invasion has not yet happened, uh, but it's interesting as to why. So let's let's look at what has happened here. So Hezekiah comes down with a sickness and he's on his deathbed. Um, Isaiah the prophet tells Hezekiah, you're going to die. But when Hezekiah cries out to God, he asks God to remember how Hezekiah has always tried to be faithful to God, how he's always tried to follow God. He's tried to reform the nation to serve God. And when God hears Hezekiah's prayer, he sends the prophet Isaiah back and says, you know what? Tell Hezekiah, I'm going to extend your life by 15 years. Uh, And that I'm going to deliver Jerusalem from the Assyrian invasion. Right. So this is really like a a, a, a precursor where Hezekiah's life circumstances involve uh, they directly tie with the future of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So just as Jerusalem will receive a death sentence by Assyria, every every it's going to look really bad. They yeah. should die. At the last minute, God will save them miraculously and extend their life. But it's not going to be, you're going to live on forever. And it was the same with Hezekiah. Okay, Hezekiah, I'm going to say, oh, I'm sorry, I just like ran my face into this mic. I'm sorry. I'm getting really intense. I love Hezekiah. I'm going to extend your life, but it's only going to be for 15 years. Right. All right. 
So it's a sign. It ends up being a sign to Hezekiah showing him what he needs to do in the Assyrian invasion. All right. Isaiah chapter 39. This is another instance in Hezekiah's political life that really does reflect the future. God uses this to show us show us what's going on. So after his sickness, but before the Assyrian invasion, uh, um, Merodach Baladin, the king of Babylon. So this, the Neo-Babylonian Empire has not risen yet, but there's this king of Babylon. There's this brewing in, in ancient Babylon. He is a rebel against Assyria as well. And he sends envoys to Jerusalem and to King Hezekiah to treat them like allies uh, and and Hezekiah accepts this partnership and he treats them as allies. He shows them, you know, what wealth he's dealing with and and the the, the power that he has to wield for warfare. He's making this uh, this peace treaty with Babylon. But Isaiah comes in and he prophesies that one day Jerusalem's actually going to fall to this Babylon that will rise as a result of Merodach Baladan. Mm. Um and that some of the descendants of Hezekiah uh, will be taken to the Babylonian courts and made into eunuchs. Uh, now, eunuchs were castrated males, uh, but rather than this being a position of weakness or inauthority, this actually eunuchs in a king's court became eunuchs so that they could reach positions of immense power because right. they weren't seen as competitions to the king's descendants so they became adopted into the king's family Uh, they couldn't found their own dynasties but they spread the dynasty of the king right if that makes sense okay so but but the problem here is that it it stops david's king david's dynasty through hezekiah of propagating right so that's why it was a bad thing uh hezekiah really doesn't seem to be mentally able to deal with this information he just kind of goes well it's not gonna happen in my life (laughs) (sighs) right and 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 it's so it seems so human it makes me smile and just be like yeah that that i i i he's dealing with so much at this point he knows assyria is coming but i think what this weakness shows here and and probably why it's included in the scripture or one of the reasons is that it shows without a shadow of a doubt that hezekiah was not the Messiah that Isaiah had prophesied. He's not, and that God had prophesied to David years ago. He is not the Davidic king that was right. to come. He had fault. He couldn't handle it. He like right. there was there was a lot of stuff, uh, which you know it may have been a rising suspicion among people who were really excited about about following God that here's this king this descendant of David he wants to unify Israel and Judah he's enacting religious reform he almost died but he got brought back to life like all of these things this fervor may have been building around Hezekiah so it's recorded here no he he did have faults just like everyone else okay Isaiah chapter 40 this is all about how it's going back into prophecy now so how God himself will be the one who calls his people back to the land and he will bring them back like a shepherd. Uh, We're also, it it goes on to talk about how absolutely no one and nothing can compare to God. The nations collectively can't compare to God. Idols can't compare to God and how God, like a shepherd, again, will take care of those who trust 
in him. Isaiah. There, there's yeah. one thing here. Sure. To note of and this happens. This happens several times throughout Isaiah, but Isaiah does make say something really quickly. He says in Isaiah forty thirty one, he says there's basically there's a blessing for those, uh, for those who wait for him. Right. Now he says this throughout all of Isaiah. What the thing to take note of here is the concept of waiting for God, because mm. this isn't a salvific sense. This is like on the day of of restoration, God will make a new heavens, new earth. It's like this idea that like. There's a blessing for those who wait for him. And you think about that and you're like, well, I know he's going to do it. But waiting implies patience and perseverance, expectation, anticipating the day to come, which is something that you do when you're waiting for your kid to come home from school or something, waiting for him to come off the bus. But it's like you're doing that every day. And this is in a a greater sense. Mm -hmm. You're waiting for this day of the Lord to come. And there's and the fact that that waiting process is a part of what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Yeah. Right? That is often taken for granted. But it's here. It's like there's a blessing for those who wait. Not just, oh, I know he's coming. Like, you might know that. You might intellectually but we're know spo- that. Yeah, and we're supposed to put a lot of stake in that. Right. A lot of stake in the fact that he's coming back. And That's that right. justice is coming. Yeah. And it, it, it is, it's painful and hopeful right. at the same time. Because you still have to go through life and deal with circumstances that you'd rather not deal with. That's right. Right? Yeah. But underpinning the Christian faith is that hope that not only are you not alone, like God is with you currently and can give you the strength to deal with these things, but that all of these things will finally be dealt with one day. Yes. Right? So there's this hope and it's it's, it's a bittersweet, painful hope. That's right. But it's great. Yeah, that's right. And I just wanted to make note of that. Just the, the concept of waiting is part of the Christian life. Yes. Uh, but it's not quite like a, a waiting around kind of thing. Is that like, you know, what's, what time is it now? Is it, is it almost, yeah. it's almost here? Yeah. It's like a patience. Anticipatory. Of right. Expectations yes. of, of it to come. And it's part of the salvation. It's part of the whole process. But anyways, that's all. Okay. Isaiah chapter 41. So this is about how God is above literally everything so he's above history he's above warfare uh it talks about how he's above the patriarchs of israel so israel and jacob are the chosen servants of god nevertheless uh and that how all of all of those in humanity who rage against israel and 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 jacob uh will fail Uh, they will be brought down because God himself is the helper of his people. Um, And it talks about how Israel will be God's threshing sledge. So his tool of judgment to separate out the wheat from the chaff. There's a lot of really interesting things that we could get into when it comes to that imagery. It's Isaiah 41 also talks about how God is the God of the poor and the needy. Uh, and what's also really interesting in Isaiah chapter 41 is the prophecies, the true prophecies of God given through his true prophets are compared to the vague prophecies that come through pagan gods and idols. So it's a distinct difference between the prophecies that's talked about in Isaiah chapter 41. Okay, Isaiah chapter 42, the servant of God is introduced here, uh, which is really interesting because this servant of God clashes with how Israel as a servant is described. Israel is supposed to be the servant of God and is a servant of God, but 
is completely contrasted here with this true servant of God. So Israel is a servant in need of rescue, a rebellious servant, a blind servant. Um, But this, this servant of God, rather, he is unbreakable. He brings justice. He's faithful. He's not discouraged. Uh, his teaching about God causes the islands, so the far off places, to put their hope in God. Uh, God will make this servant a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, uh, specifically to open blind eyes, to release captives. Now this, of course, again, we talked about this last week, it's both physical and and spiritual. There's a song of praise to God, a new song of praise that is recorded here in Isaiah chapter uh, 42. It's spoken of, I should say, in Isaiah chapter 42. Um, And then again, it's brought back in Israel the servant. Israel is not the servant of God that's being spoken of in Isaiah 42 because they're directly contrasted here. Israel the servant is the one who is blind and deaf because they don't pay attention or listen to the prophets of God, uh, which is why they find themselves exiled and, and plundered and looted and broken. Isaiah chapter 43, this is all about how God will still be with Israel and Jacob through their exile. So these descendants of the patriarchs, these people of God, and God will bring them back to their promised land. God himself will gather them and bring them back. So then there's this brief history given in Isaiah chapter 43, again, that goes back through God's relationship with Israel and Judah, uh, showing their rebellion versus God's innocence in that relationship. Mm. Isaiah chapter 44. This is all about how God will restore his relationship with his chosen people and how he specifically will pour his spirit out on them. So even though this, you know, this devastation that's come upon the people of God is not God's fault. He is still going to redeem it. He's right. still going to bring his people back. He's literally called Israel's king and redeemer in this chapter. Um, and there's a, another always, Isaiah always plugs this in here. There's a, a treaty against idolatry and the making of idols. Isaiah chapter 45, this is really interesting because it talks about Cyrus specifically. It names this man Cyrus and how God will anoint him to bring the exiles back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that would be destroyed in the future. So in Isaiah's time, the temple is not yet destroyed, uh, but the temple would be uh, destroyed and someone named Cyrus would bring the exiles back. Of course, we know from history, this is talking about Cyrus the Great of the Persian Empire. So the thrust of this chapter is that though God would use a foreign pagan nation uh, to destroy and judge his people, he will also use a foreign pagan nation to bring his people back. And it's still him, even though he's using people's different intentions. It's still him molding the course of history here. Isaiah chapter 46, this is all about the demise of the gods of Babylon. There's this image of the gods themselves going into captivity just as they led other people into captivity. So they will be led into captivity. Isaiah chapter 47, this uh, prophesies the fall of Babylon. What's really interesting here. And slightly terrifying as a fellow human being is what God accuses Babylon of. 
essentially, you did not consider the things that happened. You attributed your own success, everything that happened in your life, to your own greatness. That's a little scary. It's a little scary when everything is going well. There is a human tendency when everything's going well in our lives, we don't seem to think much about God at all. Yeah. I'm doing this. Yeah. God is blessing me because I'm doing this. Right. So God is blessing me because of me. Right. Right? This is neither a good nor a sustainable attitude for us, and we learn this from Babylon. Yikes. <laughs> okay, Isaiah chapter 48. Uh this is all about what Judah claims to be versus what they actually are. So what the people of God are saying about themselves versus the reality of situations. So they're saying that they're relying on God, that they're citizens of Jerusalem, the holy city. But what they are in reality is idolatrous and stubborn. They're following their own ways. They are God. They are their own idol because they're following their own ways and rejecting God's word and ways and changing his word and ways. Isaiah 48 talks about how God has told them all of these things in advance specifically so that they cannot attribute it to their idols. So prophecy, the role of God's prophecy in all of this right, is to bring truth. Isaiah chapter 49. Okay, so. This is, again, going back to this ministering servant that we have met earlier. So God, through the ministering servant, not through the blind servant Israel, will himself redeem the people of God from their sins. Right. So you already have that contrast of those two servants being made. Yes. And we'll get to that later. But It's important. It's, it's an, an important, important distinction because yeah. it's here in 49 and it is also back in 42. Yeah. And yeah, that distinction between... <clears throat> There are two servants being mentioned because one one side just to argue that in, well, we'll we'll get, get there. there we'll get there couple I'm chapters ahead of we'll myself. get there okay. sorry um, Isaiah chapter fifty All right. <clears throat> <laughs> Isaiah chapter fifty outlines and symbolizes Israel's sin against God uh, and it talks about the servant's faithfulness, the servant of God's faithfulness, Mm -hmm. again, as this contrast. So the servant of God is submissive to God, whereas Israel was rebellious. The servant of God submits himself to suffering at the hands of others and waits for God's vindication. So there's a lot of messianic prophecies about Jesus here Mm. that, start to really pour out beginning in 49 but here in 50 specifically right so isaiah 51 then this is a call to everyone who is in israel who are hoping in god to actually look back to abraham look back to your forefather so abraham and sarah were barren and yet god multiplied them he made them Mm -hmm. many So God is going to comfort Zion. He's going to accomplish what he set out to do, what he said he was going to do in the first place. Salvation will come for the people of God and for the Gentiles. Uh, It talks about not being afraid of mankind uh, because God's righteousness and his salvation will survive. Right. And then there's this call, there's this cry out to God, please make this happen. Please bring this to fruition, God. 
<clears throat> in uh, verses 9 to 11 of 51, mm-hmm. there's this beautiful collapsing of the of the beginning of time with the end of time kind of idea. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll just read it to you. We can talk about it. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. All right, so we have this like condensing of like the beginning and the end of time kind of thing of things together. But what's really interesting here is that you have this sea again, which represents the place of the dead, Sheol or something like that, and Rahab who's inhabiting this place, and that those who are ransomed by Christ shall who are redeemed passing over that sea. That's just like a very beautiful imagery. It's almost like it was it was all from the beginning, like created this way. Mm-hmm. So he, they create this like beautiful um, imagery. Like, and at this time, because when you have here, you have here, oh, long ago when you defeated the great sea dragon, right? But then it also says uh, you made a way for them to pass over and they're, they're going to pass over and all the tears will be gone. So it's like you have this thing where it's like God's hand from the beginning of time to the end of time is all put there. And it's using symbolic language, of course, with Rahab the sea dragon. Um and it, which would be appealing to people of their time period, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you have this uh, just this really beautiful way of saying it. I think just just wanted to throw that in there. Definitely, definitely, it's 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 always amazing the the imagery that gets drawn out by the prophets, right? Especially Isaiah, he has yeah. a tendency towards it. Yeah, that's right. Just, yeah, Loves you're, it. You're, you're you're the redeemed are crossing over the sea of death. They're crossing over the place where you know. Satan, Leviathan, the great dragon was defeated. Mm-hmm. Right? So anyway, it's just neat. Just neat. Very, very neat. Okay, so in Isaiah chapter 52, there's this continuing call for Zion, for Jerusalem, the people of God, to wake, to wake up, to awaken, and put on strength like a garment. Uh, you know, verse 3 of Isaiah 52 is amazing. You were sold for nothing, and without money, you will be redeemed. Uh, and then there's this joy described of the comforted people of God. So essentially, with the clothing, these these people go from naked to being given garments of strength. Uh, and there's amazing imagery that goes throughout all of the Bible on clothing and how God clothes us when we are unable to clothe ourselves, to protect ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, and to cover our own sin, which is amazing. Okay, so uh, Isaiah chapter 52 moves into the servant of God becoming the suffering servant. It begins in verse 13, but it continues on into Isaiah 53. So here is the last chapter we are going to be taking a look at today, which is Isaiah 53. So again, this is an amazing chapter. Christians everywhere since Christ has come, we attribute this chapter to describing the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, well, so much so. It's so revealing 
of Christ that mm-hmm. Orthodox Jews today call it the forbidden chapter. Right, because it's too similar to Christ. It's and too Christ, so they don't so teach much. about it. A lot of them don't teach about it in synagogues. They just kind of brush it over. And when they do teach about it, this is what we're kind of chiming out earlier, When they, if they do teach about it, they say that that servant, the suffering servant, is Israel. Right. Ignoring that there's two servants. There's a blind servant. That has and, already been established in the context of Isaiah. Right. So yeah. so they say, oh, this is Israel who's suffering. But when you just read Isaiah 53, which I think we should just read it because it's amazing. Well, we'll 700 read, years. We can, we can read parts of it. Yeah. To Seven- read all of it would be too long. <laughs> you guys can read all of it. Yeah. I, I, de- yeah, I sure. definitely recommend, like, stop, pause, yeah. read, then come back. That's right. Yeah. 700 years before Christ. This is this is prophesied, but it's it's clearly speaking about a human individual. Yes. You can't you can't make this a collective group. Like there's no way, there's no context you can fit you can that in. You can try to fudge it in certain areas and certain verses, but not the whole thing. Not the whole thing. You yeah. can't. There's just there's too much happening here. Um Yeah, I mean, verses 4 to 6 is classic. It's read all the time. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yeah, and there's, there's so much. And like, even verse ten, like yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and yeah. cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, right. and he will divide the spoils with the strong. And then you have it. Just it just keeps going. No, I know it's well, awesome. Verse nine is the kicker too. Like so, and they made his grave with the wicked and the rich man in his death. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Although he had done no violence, and there's no deceit in his mouth. Right. How can you say it that's Israel? Be. No, it can't. That's be. the whole point that's, of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, Isaiah is that they were the he, they time. were deceitful it's the like entire you're, time you're and violent. Being judged by foreign nations because you've been deceitful, and because, so it's like you I can't know. say there's no deceit in his mouth. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is clearly about the righteous one to come. Mm-hmm. Isaiah, and it's it's spoken of. Where is it? Like Isaiah forty three. Uh, 43 talks about it quite a bit. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no there is no Savior, right? Like, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So it's clearly pointing to this King, righteous one figure, mm-hmm. right? I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. And it even says the Mighty One of Jacob. Like it just kind of goes down yeah. the list. It's like, yeah. it's... Clearly speaking about this one man to come, the king that they're all expecting to wait for, yes. right, is going to redeem them. So that you said earlier that Hezekiah, no, it's not Hezekiah. Right. And right? so it makes sense where like all these prophecies are coming out at the same time and everyone's like, could this be Hezekiah? That's right. And, right. and Isaiah's like, no, look at this. And they're right. all like, right, not Hezekiah. But anyway, okay, so yes, read Isaiah chapter 53. Let us know what you think. If you have any questions or comments down below, I hope you have a really good week. We're going to finish up Isaiah next week and move on through the Old Testament. See you later. Thank you so much for watching. 
We want to keep producing high-quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under Donate. Your support really means a lot to us.